1: Welcome. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today in studio, I have with me David Donaldson, the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center, and Michael Daly, the COO of the Atlanta Healing Center. And we're going to talk about addiction, stress, and the aging process. There's a lot of new information about how do you actually physiologically measure your aging process and how does stress affect that and we're going to tie in addiction. But I thought before we start all of that, and by the way, welcome. Thank you for being here today.
2: Hi, thank you. (laughs) you. Glad to be here.
1: Uh, I thought we would talk about a couple of very interesting articles that were in the news. This week there's been a lot that has come out research-wise in terms of the effects of smoking. The first study that I'd like to just inform our listeners about comes from the uh, Journal of the American Medical Association in uh, their October issue. It's uh, talking about the fact that Almost 30% of all cancers, not just lung cancer, not just prostate cancer, bladder cancer, but every single type of cancer, 30% are directly related to cigarette smoking. Uh, smoking is the number one co- preventable cause of death in the United States, and we're seeing an increase now, even though we're seeing a decrease in the actual number of smokers, we're seeing an increase in the rate of cancer among people who are smoking. This study was very interesting because it looked regionally as well as at the country as a whole, and no surprise to some of you, Utah had the lowest rate. 22% of their population died of smoke-related cancer. But the interesting thing was that um, the southern states, states like Arkansas, up to 40% of the patients dying of cancer were smokers and they could di- directly tie their their use of nicotine and tobacco products with their death. This is uh, particularly worrisome. Uh, initially, they felt like the cancer risk was primarily related to the, the male Y chromosome, that this was um, part of where the cancer risk was coming. But as we're seeing more and more women becoming smokers, the, the risk is now going up for women too. And in the, uh, the South, we're seeing more and more uh, women smoking, but recently they found that North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, and Arkansas have, the, have a higher rate of women smoking than do men. And I think that's pretty astonishing. It's also very worrisome as we're seeing more and more young people. It's the young women that are picking up the cigarettes and that are continuing. And when you think that, they're also of childbearing age. And because of that, we're having more and more, potentially more and more children, exposed to tobacco products in utero and that risk that it brings to them not only in terms of increasing their risk for tobacco dependence as they grow and mature but also the decreased birth rate and all of the complications that are associated with smoking uh, and pregnancy
3: Did they um did they in that article that you're talking about did they tell why they think that is that those particular states have higher numbers of female smokers?
1: Well, they certainly predict that in the South, the reason is all of the lax tax laws around tobacco products and the um, availability, and some of the states actually don't have all of the restrictions that we see in other states in terms of where and when and At what age you can smoke. So that's part of it. It doesn't really explain the Dakotas and Montana, except that it's really cold. And it's winter, and there's often not a lot to do. No slam on these states. I grew up in Idaho. I'm speaking from my own experience (laughs) of living in a very cold uh, northern state uh, where there's not a lot to do in the wintertime, and people do tend to smoke and drink a lot. We see that certainly as we look at Canada, Mm -hmm. and our experience in Canada was the further north you got, the more... There were problems with tobacco use and with alcohol use. Right. So. But, and
2: there have been quite a few studies that have really looked at that specific population, young women, as being the one group that, that where, where every other group of, of smokers has declined, that's the one group that consistently continues to go up. Um, and, and I think that a lot of it still goes to the pressure of, of looking trim and and. Um, presenting the certain body image that that they wouldn't do if they were able to manage their stress that we're talking about with food rather than with nicotine.
1: And that has been, as we know in our work with folks, as we work really hard to get people to discontinue their use of, of tobacco products and of nicotine, even nicotine replacement over time, we want them to come off that as well, a lot of the worry for both men and women, but especially women, is this fear that they're going to gain weight if they stop smoking. So they start smoking in an attempt to control appetite and control weight, and they're afraid to stop smoking because of the potential weight gain. And it is real. Mm -hmm. It does happen to a lot of folks. So it's not as though they're making up a, well, it is (laughs) an excuse, But it is an excuse that has some validity in terms of what happens. But we are seeing this increase, and it will be interesting over the next few years. This study didn't separate out whether these folks were using the cigarette The tobacco through cigarettes, through pipes, through hookahs. It didn't look specifically at what manner in which they were consuming the tobacco, whether it was smokeless tobacco or not. And there is some concern that this may, that different types of tobacco exposure may actually increase risks of certain kinds of. Of cancers. So, more to be revealed on that, but I thought that was a very interesting study, really linking at least 12 of the major cancers that cause death in the United States being directly related to tobacco use.
2: <laughs> the next study that you were talking about <clears throat> does specifically look at, at smoking. But, but this time looking at the impact of secondhand smoking. And, and it's such a surprise to me because I have this thought in my head that people now are all, if they are still smoking, they're smoking outside. They're 20 feet away from the doors. They're not, um, really impacting the rest of the world with, with secondhand smoke. But, or smoking what the, in cars. I or mean, smoking in their own yeah. car. Um, but what the study was showing was that that's really not the case.
1: And that people are being exposed um, to secondhand smoke and that this is causing, in addition to the usual and expected respiratory infections and asthma and allergies that we see in family members of smokers. This study was looking at the effect of smoking and being exposed to secondhand smoke and having a stroke. This was a real interesting longitudinal study that looked at um, almost 30,000 people. They recruited for this study back in 1988. And this is one of those naturalistic studies where they just sign a bunch of people up for the study and then they follow them over time. And they followed them from 1988 to 2012. And they looked at, were they smokers? Were they exposed to smoke? Did they work with people who smoked? Did they live with people who smoked? Did they uh, participate in activities where people were smoking? Did they go to a bar and, or go to play darts or, or pool? Were they exposed to smoking? And as they followed up, they found out that this was um, a, a great um actually a 46% chance of having a stroke if you were not a smoker but around and exposed to secondhand smoke 46% increased risk of a, of having a stroke well. this is really shocking and i think again speaks to the fact that there is no safe exposure to secondhand smoke there's no safe distance you just can't be exposed to secondhand smoke. You just can't. And it's dangerous for adults. It's really dangerous for children.
3: Well, I think it's pretty interesting when you when you think about what's happening um with Cuba opening up if we're going to see a resurgence of um cigar smoking in cigar bars and, and that, that happened I think, you know, it started to happen in the nineties and it seems like it's died down a little bit, but I'm wondering if that will um, open up the whole, the uh, making it okay to.
2: But it's interesting how these other forms of taking in tobacco, even though it's still smoking, like hookah, is is able to smoke in an enclosed indoor breath, like at a restaurant setting, as a hookah bar, whereas the
3: tobacco is, is has been relocated outside. And it's interesting how society. Starts to allow it to come back in in other forms.
1: Right. Tobacco, like cocaine and like fentanyl, those are three drugs that we know of that can be absorbed through the skin. And this is where the problem with secondhand and thirdhand smoke comes into play because these chemicals can be absorbed not just through inhaling and breathing in the smoke that someone has breathed out, but also in sitting in the chair, sitting in the car, um, touching the... Someone's clothing. The clothing, touching the desk, using the phone that somebody's used while they're smoking. And how many times do you see that happen? People smoking while they're talking on the phone. Somebody else comes and picks it up. And there that person second person is now absorbing the tobacco products through their skin and and in addition to the inhalation so the second hand smoke is the breathing in the third hand smoke is the exposure to surfaces in the environment that now contain that precipitated tobacco that has been burned and now is stuck to the floor and the walls and the, the windows. The windows.
2: <laughs> but And the other part that was amazing to me with this is that with secondhand smoke and with this being stroke victims, that these are people who we know are not sneaking out and getting their own cigarette, but yet they had measurable levels of continine in their system right. um, indicating that, yes, they are getting getting the impact internally through secondhand smoke at a measurable level.
1: And this is interesting because we know that cotinine is a metabolic byproduct of tobacco. When people are enrolling in insurance policies or life insurance, health uh, discounted policies, one of the things that they might get is a cotinine level to prove whether or not they are telling the truth about do they smoke, but some of these folks had a high enough cotinine level from secondhand smoke that they could have been classified in some cases as a smoker and can have some
0: okay.
1: impact financially in terms of what may happen if you're trying to get a life insurance policy. So, yes, it's not a myth. So to be clear,
2: that means that it went into their system and went through their liver. Yes. And the metabolite is what they're measuring for. So they're getting it through secondhand enough that it's having to be processed through the body. Exactly.
1: And then excreted in the urine. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about addiction, stress, and the aging process. Thanks for listening.
0: The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge.
4: We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit. or your loved one, can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Welcome back. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. This is Detailing Addiction. I have Michael Daly and David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center with me today, and we're talking about some of the news around tobacco and the use of nicotine products and The increased rate of cancer as well as stroke. The surprise, as we were talking right before the break, was the stroke victims showing a 46 percent increased risk of stroke from secondhand smoke. So we are not safe just by cordoning off some areas outside or Requesting that people not smoke in buildings. We need to really avoid any exposure to second or third hand smoke. But this was an interesting article in terms of looking at e cigarettes. Now, I read an article today that was published in Chest, which is the uh, journal of the uh, Pulmonary Association. And they were talking about are e cigarettes or vaping, as many of our patients call it, really an alternative, a way to discontinue or stop smoking? And the opinion really is no, it's not. It does not, it is not safe, first of all. Most people. Though there are some, but most people do not decrease their amount of nicotine intake. Many people end up consuming more nicotine and this is not a safe vapor to be used. As well as when they can't continue to afford the expensive juice or the liquid nicotine, they go back to smoking at least at the rate that they were smoking. Sometimes they're smoking more. Then there was this other article um, that came from Mississippi State University that I found really interesting but about I, vaping. and.
2: I think b- before we talk about that, but just what you were talking about bef- a second ago... Although it's not a scientific study, what we could say from just the experience with our own patients is the ones who have tried to do vaping as a means of extinguishing their smoking have always gone back to smoking at higher levels than before. Mm -hmm. Um, So just in terms of what we witnessed for people in recovery from addiction they already want to smoke and and those who try to use vaping as a means to stop we have not seen it be a successful method and it generally increases the
3: smoking well but and and you see and hear about them smoking in addition to vaping
1: right <laughs>
3: so now you've you've just gone from you know spending 10 dollars a day to 15 dollars a day or something
1: that's one of the reasons that We at the Atlanta Healing Center are working with a local compounding pharmacy to develop the nicotine balm. This, I think, is going to be and has proven to be quite helpful to a number of our patients. It is actual nicotine replacement, but it's in the form of a... a Cream that you put on the inside of your wrists. The skin there is very thin, and there are a lot of blood vessels close to the surface, so it absorbs the nicotine very quickly. When someone is having an acute craving, they can discreetly use this, put it on their wrist, and have an almost immediate uptake of the nicotine to quell the craving and to help them not go out and and use nicotine, but it's not continuing to encourage the same hand-to-mouth behavior that we see for many of our patients. So even the act of vaping is continuing to reinforce the rituals around smoking. It would be like having our patients not inject heroin but inject their buprenorphine product We we don't want to reinforce the behaviors that trigger the use of the real substance that they like. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that I think has been very helpful for our patients, particularly those who also use the smokeless tobacco because these folks, if they try and use the – Nicotine replacement gum or lozenges, again, it's putting things in their mouth, it's holding them in their cheek, and it's mimicking that same behavior. So using the nicotine balm, using a nicotine replacement patch, and some uh, resist and restore, which are other products that we've developed with a company out of Canada to help decrease nicotine cravings by activating and monopolizing the nicotine receptors in their brain so there are some other ways to do do it but our experience as you said david is that vaping is not the way in which people are discontinuing smoking
3: one thing that i wanted to point out was that um recently i with the news on on the news and on tv um you know we're, we're not in the United States, you can't advertise tobacco products anymore. But recently, there's been a huge um, blitz of, of vaping, and and it's done so slick, and the name is so slick, and it kind of creates this: oh, I should go try that because it's safe, it's clean, it's whatever, and um, it's it's caught my eye. Like almost every time I see this this particular product being advertised. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, we're going to have another
1: Mm -hmm.
3: big problem on our hands.
1: Yes, because this currently is not well regulated Mm -hmm. at all. There's no limit in the age that someone can buy the paraphernalia, buy the nicotine liquid. And so there's also no prohibition against advertising for these products. Mm -hmm. And it's on the Internet. It's on social media. It's in... Print magazines. Yep, we're seeing it, and it's.
2: Well, and part of what what this article focused on was that with vaping, most people are have the message that it's safe and it's fine, that it's just steam that's being re- released, um, and so they really are okay with it being in their house or in places where smoking is banned, but vaping is still okay. It talks about how. Um, smokers and e-users and people with less, less education are pretty much okay with it being in the house, and it's still having that impact of the the secondhand um, nicotine being burned and released um, onto the furniture and into the children and.
1: And that is pets, very pets. and to pets it is very dangerous because again nicotine can be absorbed through your skin. And the vaping is really allowing a lot of nicotine to be precipitated out into the environment. So sitting next to somebody who is vaping or being in the car or even in the home, you're absorbing that nicotine at high amounts. Nicotine is a poison. It's in the tobacco plant as a pesticide to kill bugs and um, other uh, pests that try and eat the tobacco leaves. It can be toxic. It can be deadly in um, sufficient amounts. And so people are vaping, and then children and pets are crawling on the floor or crawling on the couch, and this actual vapor is maybe coming down upon them, but again, the third-hand vaping, which is the precipitant of the nicotine, is on the furniture, on the carpets, on the car seats. It is not safe for children, and it's not safe for any of us, but it's really not safe for young children and for, for pets. And this uh, study at the University of uh, at Mississippi State University is showing how few people really understand the seriousness of this and the potential 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 danger to human health and particularly to small children so stay away from tobacco people that's our take-home message and if you need help stopping please call us at the atlanta healing center we have a number of ways to help people who really um, want to stop smoking because actually studies have shown that 70 percent of smokers really do want to stop, but most of them have been unsuccessful, and after a while, they give up trying. So we want to encourage you to be aware of your impact on others and your own health and Please, please consider discontinuing tobacco products, and please don't think that vaping is going to be a safe alternative. It is not. Right. So now let's talk a little bit about addiction, aging, and stress. I think these three things are very tightly interwoven, and one of the basic premises that we have at the Atlanta Healing Center is that we have to look not just at helping people stop using drugs, alcohol, tobacco, and other behaviors, but that we need to help restore their stress and, if possible, minimize or mitigate some of the damage that they may have done to their bodies and to their brains from their use of substances. Stress is an interesting thing, and there are a number of very interesting studies. Dr. Cove, um out at Scripps uh, Center in California has done a lot of work looking at the stress response in people who have the disease of addiction. His theories are that people who have the disease of addiction are more vulnerable to stress and more vulnerable to difficult and traumatic experiences than are people who don't have the disease of addiction. And this is before they're exposed to drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. They may have a hyperactive stress response. So if there is a difficult situation that someone who has the genetic predisposition for addiction is exposed to, they may have a a much greater physiological and emotional response to that situation. setting them up to be so uncomfortable, to have a lot of anxiety, difficulty sleeping, concentrating, a lot of the symptoms that we know are related to stress, Mm -hmm. that they begin often, not always, but often to look for what can I do to help me feel better, how can I manage this, and often that involves addictive behaviors or the use of, of chemicals.
3: Right. When I when I talk to uh, family members who who make the initial call, sometimes when they're talking about the the, the loved one's use or or history, um, many times I'll ask if you know if it started out as a kind of a, a self medication or, or somehow util- utilizing it to deal with situations, and almost always people talk about the fact that their their child you know, started using right at about that adolescent age where they get under stresses and and, and different, you know, bullying occurring and and that type of thing.
1: So we see this, and this then further complicates not only their physical health, but their relationship with substances and the difficulties they experience when they try and stop using and try to get into recovery. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit
4: more about stress and addiction. We'll be right back. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com.
1: Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio.
4: This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit.
0: The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction, or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is
4: America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
1: Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction, and I'm Dr. Susan Blank. Today we're talking about addiction, stress, and the aging process. And before the break, we talked about the theories that we have around the accelerated stress response that we think people who have the disease of addiction are born with and that it continues to develop over time. This is such an important part of not only understanding the disease and how people may get caught up in the beginning of using drugs and alcohol, but also in looking at relapse and relapse triggers because we know that people who are Um, talking about relapses when they come in and try and process what has happened if they've had a relapse. Very often they can clearly discuss a very stressful situation that started the ball rolling in terms of them beginning to think about using, have cravings to use, and eventually use as a way to cope with stress that's overwhelming them. And if you think that they're having an Oh, uh, an exaggerated, and I don't mean that they're making it up, but that physiologically they're having a more intense response to the stress than regular people might to the same kind of situation. We see that it may not take much for some of our patients to really
3: get pushed over.
1: Yes, and be triggered and, um, and struggle. So stress <coughs> is a big, big, big deal. hmm
2: I think when you actually just stop and look at what the natural stress response is or or how our our bodies physically and psychologically respond to stress people their their eyes get more focused on being able to see what's around them their their, their warning signals are all going off you know their hair standing up their adrenaline's flushing and whatever it was that caused the stress to happen it had that natural reaction. You know, if, the, if you're driving down the highway and someone stops real quickly mm-hmm. in front of you, you have that very, very, very natural reaction. Um, addicts tend to not f- have the next response be a, a, a healthy response of, of owning the feeling, of being able to say, wow, that was scary, you know, and be able to just deal with it. Their response is, I need to medicate this. Right. I've got to do something to make this feeling go away as right quickly now. as possible. Um, and fortunate, unfortunately, there are prescriptions out there and there are the, um, remedies tobacco. out there, tobacco <laughs> being one of them, that, that works really, really quickly. um, um the idea that you can just go pop this pill and all of that stress response just stops and it doesn't come back for the next four hours. So it's getting this message, I don't have to deal with stress for the next four hours because I have this little pill. So somebody that's um, trying to get into recovery but has no experience of being able to live to the other side of that stress response is in a, a really incredibly vulnerable place and mm-hmm. I think in particular right now, because uh, I don't know about th- th- the rest of you, but I think that right now our society is in a pretty stressed out um, place with the election cycle that's going on, with the, the battle that's going on between the Democrats and the Republicans, with the the um, Halloween coming and not knowing what costume to wear. <laughs> People are are just more stressed, I think, than, the than they have coming.
1: been. And the coming. Um, on top of that financial stress worry what's going to happen to the economy what's going to happen to my job what's going to happen to um, our safety mm-hmm. there are many tensions in our in our country right now race relationships um,
2: international relationships right the things that you're hearing now from from Russia and from China f- feel like the things that you heard you know, thirty years ago. And mm-hmm. that does cause a stress response for people. And and so people part of what the article talks about is people um, lose their ability to to regulate mm-hmm. that state of being in balance and regulate a sense of having happy times and sad times and, and experiencing both of those as a part of the norm. They're more of just living without any without any happiness or sadness and just in this kind of stress survival place. Which leaves well, a person feeling tired and leaves a person feeling older. And, and what the studies are showing is that that biologically, it is causing mm-hmm. you to age much faster.
3: And, and right now, with our with our devices that we carry with us, um, you have stress in your right at the tip of your fingers at all times. you know? It used to be that you would wait till you got home to watch the news or, or hear something that was going on. Now, Throughout the day, you're checking your device or th- it's even binging into your mm-hmm. your system to let you know this is going on and this is going on and this is going on and this is going on. And it's just this over-saturation of information and in what's happening all over the world, locally, you know, throughout the country. I mean, it's...
1: And it's immediate and it's, it's constant. Exactly. And this creates this resting level, unfortunately, of stress hormones that are higher than they should be. Mm -hmm. Because normally in the stress response, if you are stressed and your brain releases cortisol and adrenaline, uh, your body responds to that. When the the threat is either acknowledged as not being such a big threat or you have managed to figure out how to run and hide or stay and fight. The normal response curve is that your blood pressure goes back down, your heart rate goes back down, your body temperature goes back down, your breathing rate gets back to normal, your eyes are no longer dilated, your ears are not so sensitive to sound, your hypervigilance, your awareness of your surroundings goes back to a normal regular level and you're able to then function normally Stress is sometimes really big things, like the car pulling out in front of you or you finding out that you've lost your job. Sometimes it's uh, physical stress. You have an illness or an injury, and that creates stress on your body as it's trying to heal and repair itself. But what most people don't realize and why our stress response never seems to be able to go back down to a normal level like other animals do Is because it's change. It's having to do things differently, constantly answering the phone. Here's a ping for the email. Now I've got to text somebody. Now I've got to run to a meeting. I've got to keep in my mind my shopping list. Got to pick up the kids on time. Got to do this. I've got all these things. And I'm constantly all day having to change what I'm doing, Mm -hmm. come back and pick up where I left off. Over and over and over again and it's those changes. Even though nobody's held a gun to my head, even though no one's threatened me, my stress hormones don't go back down to normal and we see this in our patients all the time. Mm -hmm. One of the things we do measure in our patients is their levels of stress hormones. We can do this either by drawing their blood at certain times of the day or by getting saliva samples through various times of the day and see what happens. they follow a normal curve? Do they um, respond appropriately? Or are they maintaining such a high level of stress hormones all the time that now they're going to have serious problems like hypertension? They're going to have serious problems like elevated cholesterol. Cholesterol breaks down and makes cortisol our stress hormone. So if our body's constantly saying we need more stress hormone to keep up and to adapt and to keep ourselves safe, then we're going to make more cholesterol, because you've got to have more cholesterol to make more cortisol. Cortisol keeps our blood sugar elevated throughout the day so that our body and our brain has the energy to respond to all these emergencies that we're interpreting. And when that happens over time, our pancreas loses its ability to keep up with the insulin requirements. And so now people begin to develop a metabolic um a metabolic syndrome and that eventually goes on to diabetes. Stress can be related to immune system problems. We're taxing our immune system because cortisol says all non-essential functioning shut down. We don't need to remodel our bones. We don't need to make our reproductive hormones. We don't need to have our immune system working normally. We need to be ready for fight, fight and or flight and When that happens, all sorts of physiological and psychological problems begin to develop. High cortisol really messes up your memory. And you're not able to keep things straight and keep on task. You're distracted. And the fatigue level, as you mentioned, David, is very high. So this chronic lifestyle that we live, add to that someone who is genetically vulnerable to the disease of addiction with a more intense stress response compared to other people, and then the constant effect of drugs and alcohol changing the homeostasis in their brain. You can see how this stress response has now just had a devastated effect on that person's Physical health.
3: Well, and that's that's basically just looking at the uh, identified patient. But then you then you go to the other side and and look at the family member or whoever is living with that patient. Their their stress levels are off the chain.
1: Yes, because they really have no control over exactly.
3: what's going on. Well, and to speak
2: that about stress not. Being able to lay down memories, and, and you're not really storing memories. The addict in that in the midst of that family dynamic knows that this person isn't going to rem- remember what they were told anyway. So that addict brain is playing off of the fact that their family members are stressed out, and they can say, "I told you, why don't you remember?" And and the family member will end up questioning their own sanity and question their own um, their own memory. And and we'll have the same reports of feeling tired and feeling stressed out and constantly checking the phone to see where someone's at and and checking all of these areas, keeping that whole stress tension, adrenaline level, just everybody at home, my, my hand is just going in this big old circle like we're pumping everyone up, a, a squirrel on the wheel or something, because that's the stress that that they're living under exactly. in the addiction process.
1: And so we're going to take a break, but when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about how we address some of these things, both for the patient and the family member. Please stay tuned.
4: Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org.
0: The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. Information is the key, and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like.
4: This is americaswebradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome,
1: excuse me, welcome back. I have a frog in my throat. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to America's Web Radio, Detailing Addiction. And today I have David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center. We're talking about addiction, stress and aging. I think I had stress in my throat when I started this segment. Right before the break we were talking about all of the things in life, the the small changes and the big things. That can add up to the fact that we often don't get our normal stress response, uh, the relief and the decrease in all of the physiological changes because we're constantly having to do something different. We're constantly having to respond, and that takes its toll. There was an interesting study um, looking at emotional stress, and they looked at 800 nuns and priests, and monitored them for the level of stress that they were under, both what they reported emotionally as well as physical stress, and looked at the rate of Alzheimer's disease. And the finding, of course, was that people who were under chronic stress were twice as likely to develop Alzheimer's disease. And one of the things that you were talking about, David, right before the break, is that this high level of cortisol does affect our memory center of our brain. Literally, it affects the hippocampus and can create damage to that part of our brain and can be part of why someone might develop dementia. So it affects all kinds of things. and. That is of great interest to us because we know that many of our patients have been exposed to stress from the use of drugs, from the living of that life, from the lack of attention to normal self-care like sleeping and eating and taking your medicine and going to see your dentist, and then the stress of coming into recovery, going through detox withdrawal, dealing with Legal situations, family. There's all kinds of things that are happening to our patients and to our families, right along with them, that generates tremendous amounts of stress and takes a huge toll on them.
2: Part of um, what's going on for for patients is that they're in a healing process when they come in, and they're they're being stabilized on on detox medications and they're being stabilized just in in life and so we're trying to help them learn how to get back into a natural state of rest help help them connect with the community again and begin to be able to laugh and experience joy again and at the same time they're they're feeling this pressure to jump back into their careers and to jump back into doing 27 different things in in the course of a day, and their family members are saying, maybe you need to get a part-time job, or maybe you should go (laughs) Go back back to to school, school, because obviously you're not doing anything, discounting the fact that they have had a major physical hit, physically and emotionally, and, and Um, In their minds, their brains, from the disease of addiction, but also from all of the stress that was not being managed as a result of the disease of addiction.
1: And so there are several ways we look at how this has affected that person physiologically. As we mentioned, we look at the stress hormones themselves from either blood work or saliva testing, and this can help us uh, evaluate some of the physiological problems they may be having. We do our QEEG brain map, and there we can see, usually in the theta or alpha these are specific frequencies that we see when people are very stressed. We can see changes there that indicate, yes, this person is having a stress response, a chronic stress response. It's interfering with their cognitive abilities. We can also look at their cellular age, actually. Now, each of us is was born with forty six chromosomes. We get twenty three from our mothers and twenty three from our fathers this um, These chromosomes are the actual map um, architectural plans for everything in our body from the color of our hair and our skin to whether or not we're going to have diabetes or hypertension, some of these genetically inherited diseases it determines how our body builds protein and repairs and replenishes our um, our systems and our organs at the ends of each of these um, chromosomes are little caps and they look I I, 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 akin to the tips of shoelaces. So these are called the telomeres, and they keep the DNA intact, in the right order, the uh, different protein molecules, how they're supposed to be, so that each time there is a regeneration of a cell, that when those chromosomes pull apart and replicate, that the message is translated correctly. And these telomeres help to make sure that that happens, that the DNA strands stay intact. But over time, and the older you are, the more stressed you are, the more likely these telomeres start to unravel like an old pair of shoelaces. And we begin to see that the the copies that are being made and the new cells that are being produced are no longer exactly like they used to be. So our hair starts to go gray, and our skin starts to lose its tone, and we begin to see wrinkles. And these are the ways in which we see the outward manifestation of aging. There are many studies that we know that stress can actually increase the speed at which these telomeres start to break down and allow the DNA to become less correct and to not replicate as um, efficiently or effectively or as properly as it should. And now we have the impact of diseases began to be manifest in a person's life. So we can actually measure the telomere length. (laughs) Um, There are a number of studies that that you can order. Uh, Some of them are blood. Some of them are saliva. Some of them uh, look at the immune system, the white blood cells in particular. And they can, they measure the lengths of these telomeres and you can actually not only Be aware of potential disease processes occurring. But you can get what's your true biological age, not your chronological age, Mm -hmm. the years that um, you list on your driver's license, but how old is your body and how is that being affected. And this is one of the ways in which we can help patients really look at what is their biological age, and what has been the impact of stress and lifestyle on their aging process.
3: Right. And then there's also supplements and things that we can help them get a hold of that um, help repair some of the damage that's been done to those telomeres.
1: And the um, goal is to increase the length of those telomeres repair them heal them so that the dna replicate appropriately again and by in doing this we can see that we can minimize the effect of stress, along with lifestyle changes, mm-hmm. along with being in recovery and working a recovery program. And that goes for both patients and their families or for just regular uh, people in the community that are interested in looking at how are they aging, how is stress affecting them, and what are some of the changes, some of the um, uh, peptides that they can take, some of the supplements that they can take, Things that they can do to change and hopefully mitigate and minimize some of the stress effects because sometimes we, we can't change our world, but we can change how we internally and how our body responds to the stress we're exposed to.
3: Well, and I have to jump in here real quick and, and not to, to Atlanta Healing Centers on Horn, but um, you know, I often talk to people when they're first signing up. And I say, you know, we're going to be doing a neurocognitive test. We're going to be doing a QEEG. We're going to be looking at blood laboratory, you know, blood labs. And we're going to do that when you first get here. And then once the course of treatment, at least, you know, the first course of treatment has has gone through, then we will start to look at the changes Mm -hmm. that are, are happening. And people are always amazed at, you know, the the hormonal changes that they get to see for the benefit and feel Mm -hmm. feel, um, for the ability to do a cognitive test and, and score one score in the beginning and then do something, you know, much improved after a course of time. And then even with the uh, neurofeedback and, and the QEEG, you know, so there's measurable ways to look at it and, they can, they can see this in their own lives. Right. And well, we can and retest the
1: telomeres.
3: <clears throat> absolutely.
1: Usually after six months to a year to see, have these really increased in length? Are you really making a difference?
2: Right. Because they really are beginning to feel differences, and then they get the, the lab results back and the QEEG results back, and they have have numbers showing them that that in fact they are getting better. Lots and lots of animal studies showing how different types of stress will shorten the the telomeres um, with isolation or or repeated stressing. But now there's some studies that we're we're beginning to have that show we can actually help with that.
1: And that is our purpose. So we wish you all a very healthy week and we will see you next week on Detailing Addiction.